Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. Amen. There have always been several things that have bothered me about this passage. First, the preceding verses in Matthew provide the genealogy of Joseph. It's full of baguettes and hard-to-pronounce names. And they show the lineage of Joseph with the grandiosity of an old southern family tree. It links Joseph back to Abraham and King David. And through largely symbolic relationships, traces how Joseph became Joseph. Then, in the very next scene, scene, after this august accounting of his kinship, Joseph, part of the Davidic line, is found out to actually not be the biological father of Jesus. However, Scripture says he is a righteous man, which means he'll probably be a pretty good stepfather. And then the angel informs Joseph the child will be named Jesus. Now, Jesus is a name that can be translated in a few different ways. Some scholars have the argument for it being translated as Yahweh saves, or Yahweh delivers, or Yahweh rescues, or salvation, to name a few. Then the Gospel writer of Matthew quotes from Isaiah, where we're told the name of the Savior will be called Emmanuel, God is with us, which seems not to be the exact same translation as Jesus. However, I suppose, I suppose if God is with us, then God will save us, right? In doing some more research, I discovered that the name Jesus was one of the most common names in the religious world that this story is set in, one of the most common In fact, the Jewish historian Josephus records over 20 people named Jesus during this time period. It's a very common name. So try and imagine this scene in a modern context. An angel appears and says to Joseph, a Savior will come and his name will be Charles or John two of the most common names in our culture, and one of the names of my boy, Charles. I don't see Messiah in his future. (laughs) (laughs) But Matthew, more than any other gospel writers, really emphasizes the commonality of his name. And what most of the commentators point out is this name theologically means that Jesus had a lot in common with everyone. He was and is and is one of us. He's the Messiah next door and a great reminder to people that salvation never comes from afar, but comes from right in our own neighborhood. In studying this passage, I also had an odd thought. I began thinking about Joseph and how he would walk through the marketplace after the whole town knew of this scandal his unwed wife pregnant. How would he walk through the marketplace? When he entered the crowds, did he feel somehow exposed? And I wonder, as he worked his way through the maze of shops, 
with merchants waving their arms to usher people in, if they would pause when they saw him and awkwardly look away as he approached? Would farmers selling dates and figs and grapes avoid making eye contact with him? Gazes suddenly directed to a cloudless sky, but their mouths ever smirking in recognition. Did the women at the well begin whispering furtively as he walked by, measuring his worth as a man through series of skeptical glances? Would the old gossips hunched over their teeth openly glare at him, glare at him with contempt before resuming small sips on cooling bitter dregs? I was curious about this. Did Joseph, Mary's betrothed, blush furiously all the time? Did he feel humiliated? Did his heart feel the shame? Was every other step uncertain out in public? And after thinking about this, I tried to consider what was the social impact to his life. And knowing how little humanity has changed over 2,000 years, you know, you know he heard the scornful whispers, maybe a former friend saying, I heard he actually believes this child was made by the Holy Spirit. Or another laughing that he claims an angel visited him in his dreams. Or then there's people in every society who self-nominate themselves to act as moral judges, pronouncing those two, Mary and Joseph, they should be so ashamed they could lie this much to cover their dishonor. Shame, shame. That emotional cat of nine tails handed out freely at the human temple dedicated to self-castigation. Shame, he might have thought. Should I name this baby shame? And walking through the market, while inhaling the smells of the reeking masses, I like to think Joseph would revisit his memories. I can just imagine him recalling Mary's gentle expression, so full of truth, so full of earnestness, so full of righteousness that maybe he would begin to lift his head a bit. And I can picture him remembering that the dream was so vivid and the angel a presence of love more powerful than judgment, more real than anything he'd experienced. Maybe then his shoulders would straighten a bit. Then I can see him pause in the central square and ponder the thrill of feeling the child move inside her. The palm of his hand receptive to the divine flicker of emerging life that told him that truth is a visceral thing. Truths have an actual physical physical reality. Physical compared to the vagaries of viral scandals infecting those predisposed to gorge on all of the world's lies. Then I know he would smile, because he would know what anyone knows when they feel a child move inside its mother. He would know that God is with us. God is with us and written into history in the language of flesh, muscle, blood, and bones. God is with us. So have you ever wondered about Joseph? 
Have you ever pondered what it means to have enough faith in another person to believe them, despite what the world is saying? Have you ever wondered about Joseph and what he can teach us today? So it's the fourth Sunday of Advent. And I don't know about you, but the darkness seems to be ever-growing. Things seem so uncertain as we mark the 2016 time since these events in the Bible. 2016 times since God's answer to darkness was sent to us in the form of a helpless infant. And every year I must wonder, what's an infant going to do against war, against hate crimes, against political acrimony. Pondering this, an image came to my mind. An image that occurs every time we baptize a person into this community. What do we give the family and friends standing around the altar? What's given to them? A single lit candle. Honestly, we look at anxious parents, fidgeting kids, infants dressed up sometimes like a lace monster, <laughs> and then we hand them fire. <laughs> <laughs> so how is that going to help the situation? So for me, my hope is going to help them remember Remember that as long as there's even a little light in the world, darkness will not overcome it. And I know on my cynical days, I too can ask how one insignificant little light, one tiny light, is really going to help. And I think the truth is, it's not if it's kept secreted away or kept only inside of a church. How is it going to help? What's it going to do? So, however, because there has to be a however in a story we've been able to tell for thousands of years, there must be a however to our doubts and our fears. However, if you take that light, that little hope, that dream out into the world, then God promises the world will lighten by a fraction. So then, imagine what would happen if we all combined our little lights. And of course, if we say this out loud, we will be told by the world that we're foolish, that we're dreamers, that we're naive, and we should probably be ashamed to put our trust in silly little stories filled with angels and miracles and mythical promises. And in sharing our faith, I promise we'll be laughed at by those in power, we'll be mocked by others, and the world will collectively roll its eyes. As a faithful, we'll do something. We'll go into the world and we'll make conversations awkward with those who don't believe, and we'll make every single elevator ride uncomfortable. Trust me. 
but also trusting that people who challenge hate with love, fear with compassion, and believe in the goodness of others to join them in the truth will continue bit by bit to lighten the world. So maybe this is the year, your year, to take this little light and use it to set your heart ablaze. Because the Savior is coming. The Savior is coming and His name is you. Your hands, your feet, your love, your passion, your faith, your fire. The Messiah's name is you. It is you. It is me. It's we. And we are all armed with a single little light to illuminate the way. Amen.